after we had secured most of those funds and hired on new team members, we get an email about a month later. And the email says, after some consideration and this conversation has gone up through the administration, we've decided that we're going to revoke and rescind your award on the basis that we believe that your product and company are obscene, profane, and immoral. Welcome to Secret Leaders from Infamous Media. This is a UK startup podcast where you can hear how top entrepreneurs are doing it so you can take your career to the next level. I'm Dan Murray-Serta and today I'm talking to Laura DiCarlo, a sex tech entrepreneur. Her self-titled business has caused quite a stir, including having an award for their first sex toy revoked by the world-famous Consumer Electronics Show in 2019, which prompted outrage over the double standards on women's sexuality. Model and actress Cara Delevingne recently became a co-owner of the business and has been putting her considerable influence behind it. She was going to join Laura for the interview, but kept cancelling. So to be honest, we just couldn't keep up with that. So we're just sticking with Laura for this episode. And it's worth it because she's great. Laura's is a story of orgasm, scandal, celebrity power, the patriarchy and a sprinkling of robotics engineering. But let's keep it simple for now and ask why sex toys? The problem is, is that they were all toys. Um, I don't, we're not a sex toy brand. We're a sexual health and wellness brand that utilizes robotics and technology because that's the way it should be. So yeah, I was, I was using sex toys. Actually, my first uh, experience, and this is probably why I said a human or a person or sex over toys, is because my first experience with a blended orgasm, which is when you stimulate the glands clitoris and the, the fabled G-spot, or AKA, it's actually called the urethral sponge. At the same time, and most people don't know this, but the the entire body of the clitoris, the entire erogenous zone that is the clitoris, is actually about the same size as if you were to put up peace fingers. It's about four inches in length, um, and most of it is beneath the external physiology. So the part that you do see, or the AKA little man in the boat, is the glands clitoris. So you're stimulating the glands clitoris, and then you're stimulating some of the erogenous tissue that's underneath the surface, as well as the G-spot, or rather the internal portion of the clitoris. Um, so this happened, and I, had, I didn't know that, the, that this was happening. This happened to me with a partner when I was about 28 or 29. And I had, one, I had a squirting orgasm. Two, I completely, like, I lost my mind. Uh, felt like I, I couldn't tell if I was having like a religious moment or a seizure or maybe both or neither um, all at the same time and vibrated right off the side of the bed and hit the floor with one leg still hitched up on top of the bed, kind of in a drooling stupor. And I laid there on the cold tile floor and stared at the ceiling. And all I could think was, oh my God, how do I do that again? And more importantly, how do I do that again by myself? Um, because the the entire experience was really powerful. That was the kind of power that I wanted to harness myself. I started actually trying to figure out how do I do that again by myself. So I was I spent about a decade in healthcare, and at that point I was working on my undergrad, and I wanted to become an orthopedic surgeon. So I was doing a lot of medical study. And I was looking through medical textbooks, through medical journals. I was looking at any article I could get my hands on. And nobody, like, I, I couldn't find anywhere where it actually told me what had just happened to me. 
until I ended up in Cosmo and Women's Health magazine. And uh, they coined it as being the uh, blended orgasm, AKA the holy grail of orgasms. And I went, why can't I find anything about erogenous tissue in any of these medical texts or journals? And I, I, I kept looking and every time I go into the erogenous areas, you know, you look at, you open up a textbook and it's everything on the male side. It's everything like about how like blood flow, how they become aroused, all of these things, how you can, you know, what can happen to a hard on. And then you flip the page to the female um, physiology and anatomy. And it's basically how you get pregnant and how you get STDs and what they look like. And I went, that's fucking fabulous. That being said, I, I started actually looking for the product that would recreate this, this experience. And I was looking for three specific things. I was looking for something that could be fully customizable so it could actually fit my physiology because I was buying things and I was like, this doesn't fit me. It says it's supposed to you know, hit both spots, but it doesn't. Secondly, I wanted something that felt more like a human partner rather than just vibrated because um, my personal experience was that I would get to a point where I would actually feel desensitized. And I wanted the recreation of that experience of being with a human partner. And lastly, I wanted something that not only just was could fit and be customizable, but that could fit well enough that it would stay put so that it could be hands-free because why, why not? And lo and behold, that didn't exist. I went through a lot of products and every single one of them didn't meet those requirements. So I started looking a little, a little bit deeper into uh, the makeup of these companies and not a single one of them was female founded. Not a single one of them was actually creating products based on physiological data and research. So I started doing the research and the data collection on my own, not even thinking, oh, I'm going to start a company. It was just, okay, well, what data is needed in order to create this experience, in order to create this a product that can create this experience? So I decided to start asking people, um, and it started with friends and family and, you know, some friends through social media. Where's your clitoris? Can you measure it for me? Hey, could you find your G-spot and measure, measure that for me, where it goes from the, from the G-spot to the vaginal canal opening? And, um, you know, what's your pelvic angle like? And so at first it was, it was kind of, it was awkward. People look at you kind of like, what? Like, why are you asking me that? And then they would actually start to get really excited. And they would go, okay, this is kind of neat because nobody's ever talked to me about this stuff before. So I would continue that conversation. And then the next thing I discovered was that none of them knew nearly enough about their own physiology. I had to teach a lot of people. In fact, ultimately I ended up doing this with nearly 200 people and I ended up having to create diagrams and talking people and walking them through how to find their clitoris, how to find their G-spot, how to measure that. And the third thing, obviously, everybody's like, why are you asking me this? When I told them it was because I had had an experience um, and that it was this blended orgasm that was literally life-changing and drool-inducing. Every single person was like, you're, so you're creating a thing. You're gonna, make a, you're gonna make a product. Where is it? When can I have it? Is it ready yet? And I was like, I don't know what to tell you. I'm not an entrepreneur. I, I'm just like ridiculously curious. I, I'm like a Jack Russell with a tennis ball. I'm going to figure this thing out until I tear it apart into tiny little pieces all over the floor and then I'm going to find the next tennis ball. Ultimately, one evening I'm sitting down 
uh, with some folks who were also exited entrepreneurs. And I'm, um, I'm still going to school. And I've decided at this point, I want to do something different with my life because uh, medical just isn't quite what it was. And I'm not sure that this is the track I still want. I want to do something that, that makes a difference in people's lives and gives meaning to mine. And I'm sitting down with these, these exited entrepreneurs and I am bitching about the lack of technology and lack of um, thoughtful innovation and design that goes into these toys. And they kind of look at me and they go, it sounds like you have an idea for a product, for an invention. And I was like, no, I am, I am not an inventor. And they're like, no, seriously, it sounds like you have an idea for a business. And I was like, mm-mm. I'm not an entrepreneur. I don't know the first thing about business and I'm not an inventor. But if I was, this is what I would do. It took nearly six months of them just haranguing me like, hey, you should definitely do this. And I was terrified. Um, I don't even know the first steps. Like, and this is when I look back on my, on my entrepreneurial journey and realize that nobody, no entrepreneur knows what they're doing. <laughs> Um, because almost six months later, one of them says to me, would you just show me how it works? Like put together a pitch deck and show me how it works. And I was like, I don't even know what a fucking pitch deck is. I haven't used, um, um, PowerPoint since I was in college. Give me a break. I mean like early in college. I go, okay, you're driving me fucking insane. And I'm really, really irritated with myself. So this is how it freaking works. And I grab this whiteboard and I prop it up against the wall. And I start drawing what the uh, female erogenous zones in anatomy looks like um, and how the physiology changes from person to person. And then I erase it like a whole bunch of stuff. And then I start drawing what the product could look like and how that could change from person to person and um, how that could be effective. And then I start going on this tangent of how and why this is important to how we develop as a society, how we talk about sex, how we approach the stigma that is sex and masturbation. And then I start talking about things like channel strategy and mission and values. And I have no idea what any of that is, but I'm talking about it. And I look up and they have this kind of half-cocked grin on their face. And I was like, why are you smiling like that? And they go, Laura, because that was a pitch deck that was your pitch and it was a good one. And I went, well, I guess I'm starting a fucking company. And uh, I founded the company two weeks later. Very shortly after that, we went to Oregon State University. Um, they happened to be the top four robotics program in the country, in the US. And this wasn't without uh, lots and lots of digging. It took us about a month and a half, two months of pounding pavement day after day after day, looking for mechanical engineers, we had actually gotten a couple of quotes from manufacturing companies and, you know, companies that take your product from concept all the way to all the way out the door. And one of our quotes was literally, oh, you're going to need um, three years or no, five years and five million dollars. And we went, I don't have that. That's fabulous. But no. And so that's when we ended up at Oregon State University. And I end up sitting down at a table across from this um, this man in his mid 50s. Um, who's just as sweet as could be, um, had a big grin on his face, uh, and very, I mean, very Italian, so we got along famously, um, and his name was Dr. John Parmigiani, and we sit down, and he's the head of the MIME lab, and uh, a PhD at the College of Engineering, and the first thing that 
falls out of my mouth is, so John, I had this really amazing orgasm um, and I want to recreate the entire experience with a product. Can you help me build it? And he turned, he, he blanched. He just turned white. And then he turned bright red and he started stuttering. And then I slid this sheet across the conference room table to him. And it had 52 functional engineering requirements on it that I had put together. And then his stuttering started turning into, oh, 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 this is, this is amazing. No, no, no entrepreneur has ever brought me functional engineering requirements. Like, how did you know to do this? And I was like, I'm a weird tech kid. I don't know. I was a daughter of an engineer. And he's like, this is, I, I don't know about the application, but this is definitely engineering. We can do this. And so within a week, we were signing contracts uh, to kick off an industry-funded research program by Laura Carlo in partnership with Oregon State University's College of Engineering. And we had a slurry of PhDs, students, uh, engineers, and professors come in and work on the project over the next eight or nine months. And at the end of that, we had a prototype. We had filed for five patents and uh, we had a proof of concept. Those patents, that proof of concept, and that prototype is what we took and we applied for the Consumer Electronics Show Innovation Honoree Award in Robotics. And just thinking, well, we need a PR strategy, right? We might as well start applying for awards now because this product's not going to be ready for at least another year. If you're trying to grow your startup and you're dealing with companies outside of the UK, you're probably going to need ISO 27001 at some point. It's not the sexiest acronym, but it's basically the global standard for proving your security practices are up to scratch, like how you handle customer data. The same goes with SOC 2. You're going to need it if you're a SaaS company. But achieving these security frameworks can be very tedious and very costly. This is where our partner Vanta comes in. Vanta automates up to 90% of the work for certifications like ISO 27001, SOC 2, GDPR, HIPAA, and more, getting you audit ready in weeks instead of months and saving you up to 85% of the cost. And as a special offer, our listeners get 20% off Vanta. Just head to vanta.com slash secretleaders. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash secretleaders for 20% off. There's a link in the description. Look, you know I'm fascinated by AI, but until the machines take over, there's only one thing that's going to determine your company's fortunes. People. This isn't some kind of hollow point to make me look good. If you speak privately to any successful entrepreneur, they'll confirm it's true. So, if you're a leader of a growing business, then you should check out Personio. It brings together all the important HR things like hiring, onboarding, payroll data, performance reviews, and so on. You don't want loads of employees sending you emails asking for time off. You want to be able to see things objectively, like it's taking you too long to hire. You want to do performance reviews well, having clear goals for people that are logged in a centralized system. And you want to do all these things in one simple tool without having to become an HR expert. All of this is possible with Personio. Check it out at personio.com forward slash secret leaders. That's personio.com forward slash secret leaders. There's a link in the show notes. And had you raised any money at this point? 
Oh yeah, we had raised a seed round um, for just under 200K, which was great going through Oregon State University because that was well within my budget. And so we, we start uh, applying, putting in these applications and we put in the application for the CES award. And a month later, actually not even a month later, it was uh, about uh, a couple of weeks later, we got a notification that we had been selected to win an honorary innovation award in robotics for our product. And we were completely flabbergasted. We were a, a, a women-led team, a fem-led team of uh, mostly fem-facing engineers creating sex tech. We just kind of looked at this email aghast, like, oh my gosh, like, wow, maybe the tides for us are finally turning. Maybe the tides for the patriarchy are turning. You know, if they can recognize fem-led, mostly fem uh, engineering team creating sex tech, what's next? So we, we celebrated. I freaked out. I started raising money again. Um, that was when I raised my first million dollar round. I started hiring people in marketing. We started hiring a PR firm because, um, you know, we didn't even know what we were doing at that point. We were just mostly engineering. And um, we were very excited. After we had secured most of those funds and hired on uh, new team members, we get an email about a month later. And the email says, after some consideration and uh, this conversation has gone up through the administration, not the judges, we've decided that we're going to revoke and rescind your award based on the, on the basis that we believe that your product and company are obscene, profane, and immoral. I mean, that was harrowing for us because, you know, we, we look at sexuality as something that is to be considered sacred. I can't imagine you taking that lying down, pardon the pun. So <laughs> strap in for taking an opportunity. Strap in, strap on, right. <laughs> at first, honestly, I, my, um, my publicist called me during an engineering meeting and said, are you sitting down? And I said, I'm in a meeting. Hold on one second. And I, I, I put it on mute and I walked outside of the conference room and I sat down on the couch and I said, what's going on? Please. Like, is it bad? And she goes, they're taking your award away. And I literally like, I choked up and I started to cry. And I was like, why? We, we have everything in email. I'll, I'll send it to you. And she just, she just started getting very agitated. She was like, it's bullshit. Honestly, it's the most bullshit, patriarchal, messed up kind of reason. They, it's so gender biased. It's disgusting. And I was like, what's the reason? And she told me. And those tears turned to anger real quick. And then that anger turned to resolution. So we sat down and we, we put together a strategy. We had our attorneys send them got a six page long letter, basically, uh, touting that, you know, it was completely, I mean, their, their reasoning was completely arbitrary and capricious at best. And not only that, but I mean, it was extremely gender biased and chauvinistic and it was wrong. I mean, the fact is, is that they had had booth babes at that show for decades. They, in 2017 and 2018, they didn't have a single female keynote speaker. Let me remind you that the Consumer Electronics Show has almost 180,000 attendees in person. 
has nearly 5,000 exhibitors and vendors at the show and is spread out over acres of Las Vegas. And you didn't have one single female keynote speaker for two years in a row? No. Not only that, but they didn't have, uh, they actually had sex tech there on the floor. They had VR porn for men showcasing on the floor. But we were considered vile and promiscuous. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. So we pointed all of these things out in, their letter, in our letter to them and basically said to them in very bold, capitalized text, this is not a great time for y'all to be overly patriarchal. Not a good time. This is an opportunity for you. We suggest you take it. And the entire time, throughout this entire thing, this took months of volleying back uh, letters to and fro on trying to negotiate with them and getting shut down every time. I am terrified, personally. I am shaking in my boots, going, they're going to call, they're just going to call us whiny. They're going to call me bitchy. You know, they're going to say all sorts of terrible things, but damn it, like just do it because this is wrong. And this is actually where we started to really form our values as a company. And our values are respect, empowerment, and integrity. And every day that I woke up and had to deal with this particular uh, issue, I just thought, okay, well, are you taking action today based on your values? And if you are, then that's going to be the right decision. It might be the harder decision, but it's going to be the right decision. So stick to your values. And ultimately, sticking to our values ended up <laughs> causing us to put together a strategy that where we launched an international awareness campaign around the gender bias in tech. And at the CES show and in the technology industry at large. And we launched that campaign the morning, literally at midnight, right before CES, before the Consumer Electronics Show started. And that day, there wasn't any news about CES that didn't include Lorda Carlo. We were pretty much an overnight press sensation. And the entire time, I'm, I'm still terrified and shaking and freaking out and like, oh my gosh, no, people are just going to, are going to say terrible things about me, but we got to do this. We've got to do it. And we were in Vegas at the time. And I remember spending an entire day locked up in a, in a rental office where we took press interviews from first thing in the morning, all the way late into the evening. And I remember looking over at my publicist at one point and just going, Rachel, can I just go to the bathroom? And she shoots over and she goes, no, not yet. We've got one more and I'll try to find five minutes for you. And I was like, I'm hungry. <laughs> but we were, it was that sensational. It was also very frustrating because we didn't have a product ready yet. Like I said earlier, we were getting ready to have this product launched towards the end of 2019. And, uh, you know, people are already asking, where's the product? And we're like, all we have are prototypes. Like, we haven't done our bridge to manufacturing. I immediately got shunted into from a, um, just playing around in the lab uh, with the engineers and uh, informing product decisions and design development to becoming an, like, overnight 
motivational speaker around the world. One of my first uh, big gigs was actually speaking at the uh, Forbes uh, Women's Summit in 30 Under 30 in Tel Aviv in Jerusalem. And I nearly wet my pants. I was like literally vibrating out of my pants in the back backstage, just like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And like, if you want to fast forward, we went from that entire um, year of 2019, just doing nonstop press all year long, and then finally launching our pre-sale, and then launching Osei um, on January 23rd of 2020. And right before that, we, we announced our new partnership with model activist and actress Cara Delevingne, um, who had actually come to us kind of clandestinely um, behind the scenes and said, hey, I'm looking for a, a sex tech company that really stands for something and is actually making products based on uh, physiology and data. And y'all might be right up my alley. And, you know, I met with Cara and we were so on brand with each other. And she's she's such a powerful human and she's so loving and accepting. And, you know, to be honest, before I met with her, I was like, okay, is she... Like you hear all these horror stories about celebrities. Is she going to be a crazy celebrity? And I met her and she was just the most authentic person, exactly who she appears to be in the media, just silly, fun, laid back, very human. And I was like, hell yes, you are on brand for sure. Like, let's do this thing. And um, I remember sitting down with her at one of our development meetings and telling her, hey, Cara, like, do you want to do a line? Do you want to do a product? Like, what kind of sex tech do you want to do? And she she looks at me and she kind of gets this quirky look on her face. And she goes, well, Laura, what do you think people need? And I was like, oh, I just love you. So let's unpack that for a moment. So how did the initial conversation go as well, right? Because I guess, you know, to some extent, I imagine maybe you were cynical at first. And I'd love to just know how these first conversations really went and you know she's actually registered now as a co-owner of the business so what does that mean did she invest up to a certain point what even is a co-owner take us through this journey a little bit so she it was actually her agent that reached out and when we got the email um i thought it was i thought it was spam um i was like yeah right you have some a-lister celebrity that wants to invest in my business i'm sure blah 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 so we responded just because there was a potential opportunity there. And, and um, this agent gave said, I can't tell you who this is, but I can't tell you that I work with these other celebrities. And we looked at that list of celebrities and we went, and then we looked up the, the agent and, and we went, oh, oh, okay. All right. So uh, maybe we should take this meeting. I was actually down in LA um, for a photo shoot when I met with her agent first and we found out who it was and um, instantly super excited simply because um, not just because Cara is Cara's kind of a big deal, but more so because she, she was so well aligned. Um, she is quirky. She is fun. She's everything that we want and that we are striving for as a brand. You know, she's, she's in the LGBTQ space. She is very sex positive. So, um, you know, at that point, um, I said, yes, I would love to meet her. And this was in the end of November 2019. Immediately after that, I had several uh, press tours that I needed to go on. 
Um, and we scheduled uh, Cara's and my meeting for March. Oh, wow. Okay. So um, how did that one go down? Anyone wearing masks? What we were looking at, what we were looking at at that point was we still had to do the next, you know, 20 CES 2020. And that, that goes on for quite a bit. And then I had, and then I had several press tours and, um, and opportunities that I was flying around for. So I go to Stockholm, I get COVID, I go back, I do my speaking event in at Ann Summers. And then the day after that, I realized I don't feel very good. I thought I had allergies, to be honest. I'm a little embarrassed about that. You do? You're allergic to COVID? Oh, apparently. I, I remember sitting down at um, this this cute little place in London. I was so excited about having their, their French onion soup. And I remember taking a bite of it and just going, this tastes terrible. In fact, it just tastes like nothing. Isn't this awful? I was like, I just don't feel good. I'm just going to go and I'm going to go back to my hotel room. And, and it just kept getting worse. And then I, I called my, my agency and they were like, you know, everybody's getting sick. Like it's, we highly recommend if you're not feeling well that we, we postpone your next two tours and we'll reschedule them. And I'm super, I'm like, it's just a cold. I'll be fine. I'm glad I have a really smart team. So I went straight home. It kept continually getting worse. I had a car dropped off for me uh, at the airport so I could drive myself home. My partner had to stay in, uh, we had to stay in separate homes. And just to be safe, I had somebody come in and, and do flu testing. I did eight different strains of flu testing. And then everything came back negative. I'm like, well, why do I still feel terrible? It can't really be how I couldn't be COVID. And I was terrified at that point. There's a lot of points in this story where I'm scared. I've just realized I've said terrified like 20 times now. I was also terrified. I didn't, I didn't want to get COVID. I was so scared because it was so like, there was so little known about it and you know, people were dying. And um, so I have a nurse show up at my house and this is how people feel about it at the time. She shows up, no masks, no gloves. And I was like, get out of my house. Go put on a mask and gloves and then you can come in and, and do the test. But like, you know, you don't know if you've been exposed. And she, she tests me and I wait for about 48 hours and I finally get the test back and it's positive. And I proceed to get worse. And long story short, uh, my COVID experience lasted 37 days. And there were points when I called my mom, I called my partner. I was just, I remember crying and saying, I don't want to die. Yeah, that's crazy. That's a long time. I had COVID for three weeks, best part of a month, but 37 days is insane. I actually had it in February because I'm an early adopter. But 37 days, that feels like a, a record. So I would say congratulations, but it sounds like you missed your first face-to-face -face meeting with Kara as a result. I did. I did. So um, after I felt better, it was in April, mid to late April. Um, we just, we set up a FaceTime meeting and um, I sent her a whole bunch of product and I actually sent her, I think, like three or four care packages. Um, she was still dating Ashley Benson at the time, and Kaya Gerber was staying with her. Um, and so they each got this big, huge box full of every every product that we make. And I remember getting on FaceTime with Kara, and she's got a house full of these young women running around the house, like yelling and and squealing, and they're so excited. And it was like it was like watching Kara try to herd cats. And they're staying at this rental in LA and she finally gets, and I was like, Cara, I need to like all of, all of you, I want you all to like be in one spot. And she's like, okay, okay, okay. 
and uh, and she's trying to get everyone into the kitchen. And, you know, one person's holding a puppy and the other one's, like, flinging Osei around. And she's like, oh, God, like, what, do you put it in like this? And Car goes, no. She said, don't do that just yet. And um, I get everybody on the screen and I walk them through how to use Osei because Osei is a little bit more complicated. It's a very high-tech piece of sex tech. It's kind of like if you go from a BlackBerry to an iPhone. So they're all excited and, and Car goes, okay, okay, so can I just text you when I'm done? And I was like, yeah, of course you can. And um, she's like, all right, well, we're going to try this out and I'll, I'll, I'll be in touch shortly. And six minutes later, after I hang up with them, I get a call, I get a text message that, from Cara that just says, sis, oh my God, WTF, but she's amazing. And I was like, it's been six minutes, Kara. And I'm, I'm texting her back and she FaceTimes me before I can send a message. And she just, she's laying on a lounge chair poolside at this place that they're staying at. And I can see Ashley in the background and she's just languidly staring at the, at the, um, the camera. And she goes, Oh my God, Laura. I was like, it's been six minutes. What did you do? And she goes, I came three times. Are you kidding me? And I can hear Ashley in the background and she goes, can we keep her? So then we just started to discuss like the, um, a couple more of the products and she started getting really excited because she's like, these work really well. And, uh, we started talking about the brand, about the vision, um, about, you know, what her role could look like. Um, and she was really interested in the creative. She's really interested in product design and influencing product design. She's really interested in um, making sure that her community is um, has um, a lot of influence in products and not just her community, but, but society at large. Um, and that they're well represented in products that we create and that we're solving problems, not just making products. That was kind of the moment I realized like you are a very cool human being. In short, by the end of that call, I was like, yeah, we could definitely do this. Um, and I mean, cause this is my baby. And I don't care how amazingly popular you are and how many millions of followers you have. If you don't get it, then it's probably not going to work. Um, so Kara is not just a, like a celebrity spokesperson. She is actually an owner, like you asked. She's actually invested her own dollars in the company. And has a. she also has a services contract um, uh, that also boosts that ownership and that equity percentage as well. So there's there's investment for equity, and then presumably there's an advisory for services biz, uh, opportunity as well, right? So like options, or rather shares for services. Yes, yes, which she has both, and she's very bought in. She's been quoted as saying this is probably the most important job she thinks she's ever done, and I would totally agree with that. She gets so excited. Um, we have team meetings um, where we, we try to accommodate her schedule. She's extremely busy. She's, um, she's on set right now um, shooting, and it's really hard to get a hold of her, so we, we try to schedule in advance, and we'll schedule like half an hour, an hour, and just she'll sit down with me and the team, and we'll talk through uh, product development, ideas she has, creative reviews. She's like a kid in a candy shop every time, so um, really enjoy working with her. And we went from a one product, zero dollars in revenue company to seven and a half million in our first year 
and from one product to 11 in the first 12 months. And we're, we have warehouses in Amsterdam, Hong Kong, and LA now. And now we are in 37 countries worldwide. Uh, we've sold well over 65,000 units of all different products. It's been absolutely insane. Yeah, I mean, that's amazing. Let's talk about that for a second. So going from zero to one product is hard, but the scale of your of, of your next range, that sounds extremely fast and super impressive. So um, what's the been the growth trajectory of the team size as well? And how have you thought about, you know, presumably you can't just have endless sex toys, right? As in there, presumably there has to be some limit, especially if they're customizable. So how do you actually think about like the range, the vision, the product design, what you're trying to build, what limitations you put around it, if there are any, I'd love to know like anything around the vision for the company in terms of how you go from January to where you are now to where you are in 10 years. Yeah. Um, so the vision here is that we want to be the sexual health and wellness solution, holistic sexual health and wellness solution for just about everyone. Um, so yes, we went from one product to 11, um, nearly overnight. I mean, by the time I think, um, we had eight products by August, September timeframe, and then three more in January of 2021. And the reason that we were able to do that is because we put together a really solid engineering team early on, and we've been working on our say for three years. So if we're doing that, and we're also doing studies and data collection, but we realized while we did this data collection, there are things that can inform other products. So we were asking people, how do you like to be touched? What sensations do you like? All of these things. And so we finally finish, my engineering team finishes uh, Osei, and we send it off to our manufacturing uh, partners. And I'm like, oh, well, y'all can finally take a break for a minute. And I'm thinking they're, you know, they're going to kind of get the, the lab cleaned up. They're going to take a break, all these things. And I show up about two weeks later because um, our lab used to be off site. I show up and, and they're like, Laura, we have some things to show you. And I was like, okay, what's that? And they had taken that data and they had, and we have this really amazing um, rapid uh, iterative prototyping lab. We have a, a multi-compliance printer down there and we're basically able to CAD something up, print it, wire it up, test it out, and then make small changes and reiterate within 24 to 72 hours. So in that two week timeframe, they had somewhere probably around 15 little contraptions. I walk in and they're on this big conference table and they're just literally bouncing and moving around on the table. And I'm just going, what is going on here? And they're like, these are the patterns and the things that people said they liked. And I was like, y'all are freaking brilliant. This is fabulous. So they had taken that data and just kind of ran with it. And that's uh, what you end up seeing with um, Filare, Carezza, Onda, and Bachi, which were the five follow-on products um, in the family of the, in the biomimicry line of products uh, following Osei. So by the time we had launched Osei, we did our finishing touches on the following follow-on products and launched those. And then, um, you know, everything just kind of, it wasn't like finish a product and do another thing. It was, you know, everything started to kind of work in tandem as we continued to create new IP 
And then we started looking into a warming line and developing that as well, which uh, has a very avant-garde approach to polymer heating technology that's not used in sex tech. And we implemented that um, as well. So you get a really consistent feel and heat in a product that helps with uh, blood flow. And we also have our coaching line. So like I said, we have this holistic approach to sexual health and wellness. So the idea here is that um, you should be able to come to Lord Acalo for all of your sexual health and wellness solutions. That's that's pretty much sums it up is we want to be that that holistic approach to sexual health and wellness. And eventually we're going to be looking at expanding our content line as well. So I guess just to, to sort of start to summarize and to wrap it up a little bit, how much money have you raised to date? What do you see the future um, like a fundraising for you? You know, do you actually intend to do future rounds? Are you interested in doing that? Do you want to, how do you think about ownership as well? You know, as the journey unfolds, because world domination comes with costs. So I'd, I'd love to know how you're thinking about that solution. Yeah. So, um, we are currently, we actually have a round open in Republic, uh, which is an equity crowdfunding platform. Um, we've raised almost a million dollars there. The point behind that wasn't necessarily just the influx of cash. It was the fact that we we want super fans. We want we want people that already stand behind Laura DiCarlo and now have even more of a reason to stand behind Laura, Carlo, Laura DiCarlo because they're investors. So we have over 2,000 investors that have invested in Laura DiCarlo at nearly a million. Um, and that's really exciting for us because that also enables us to have access to a very committed group of people that want to see us succeed. Yes, I love having control over this company and being able to make decisions really quickly. But if you're making a decision that doesn't involve the consumer, then you're probably not going to end up making the right decision. Um, so we wanted that to be a, a major factor. Also, it, it allows us, it's allowing us to run different kinds of tests on how do we market in mainstream, uh, market and advertise, because we are a category that Facebook does not want to see on their platform. Um, same thing even with Instagram, even with TikTok, with all over the place. It, it's extremely difficult to advertise. Um, so we're seeing like, how do we break the mold? Where do we find the loophole? As far as how much we've raised, um, closing this round, we're nearly at 10 million raised so far. And we are looking at um, hoping to close this, uh, this crowdfund round at two, but I, I, I'm, I'm looking at the possibility of needing another 2 million and then we're actually looking at profitability in 2022, um, mid year, which is pretty mind blowing considering that, you know, how young we are as a company, then it's, you know, if you're profitable and then you get to play, then you get to raise and, and scale in a way that really, really just blows the socks off of everyone. Beautifully said, Laura, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Dan. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app.
Next week, I'm speaking to Andrew Gazdecki, the founder and CEO of MicroAcquire, which is the kind of company the startup ecosystem has been crying out for. MicroAcquire is a platform that helps founders sell their startups much quicker and easier, and they're blowing up. Find out how he's doing it next week on Secret Leaders. This episode was hosted by me, Dan Murray-Serta. It was produced by Rich Martel with editing done by Lower Street Media.